The scripture I read, the lectionary comes after Alex's series on the Ten Commandments that he preached three weeks on, and last week he um, preached on where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, asked him about giving back to God and giving to Caesar and paying taxes. They, he, Jesus is being confronted with a series of testing questions. I read from Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40, where this questioning continues. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. The word of the Lord. A little over a month ago, I attended a wonderful wedding at Massanetta Springs between two of my seminary friends. The minister chose what I thought was an interesting text for a wedding, the same one I read this morning. And he built a wonderful homily around this text, charging the couple to put first God, love in their marriage, and to live out their lives together, following these words to love each other and their neighbors, to be active in God's world, witnessing God's love. But at one point, a thought flew through my mind. But you got to love yourselves, too. How many relationships have I seen get in trouble because one person truly doesn't love themselves or isn't satisfied with who they are at the core of their being? This doesn't apply only to marriages. When we can't love ourselves, accept ourselves, we really can't truly love others as God loves us nor can we live into who God calls us to be. Now, don't worry, hold on, or don't worry, I'm not going to get all Robert Schuller on you or attempt to follow in Norman Vincent Peale's footsteps or preach about looking out for number one or bring on what some would call Oprahology. But Jesus is making a serious statement here about loving neighbor as yourself. Looking back 2,000 years ago, there wasn't a field of psychology and the term self-actualization would have been completely foreign to the Jewish people. But they did feel strongly about who they were and where their identity came from. And this is something I believe we can learn from. This conversation Jesus has with the lawyer and the Pharisees comes during Holy Week. Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He has trashed the temple in a fit of righteous anger over how it has been desecrated. And he's told a series of provocative parables about God. In turn, nervous Judean leaders have been throwing questions at him to challenge his authority and find a reason to arrest him. Jesus is on a roll. He is confronting the establishment and they're confronting him. 
Some leaders are trying to find out ways how to silence him. Others are trying to figure out who he really is. So yet another testing question is posed to him to see if he truly understands God's way. A lawyer asks him, Rabbi, which commandment in the law is the greatest or another way to put it or interpret it would be, what sort of commandment is of greatest importance? Now, according to the Jewish tradition and writings, there are heavy and light commandments of which there are 613, which Whitney told our children about. Yes, there are 10 commandments, but they are followed up by more stipulations and types of legislative laws formulated throughout the years in how to actually live out these. Live out these. And the Pharisees are experts at keeping track of these laws. Jesus answers the question with a summary of the law called the Shema from the book of Deuteronomy and follows with a commandment about God's love and justice from Leviticus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and prophets. Nope, they can't get Jesus on this one. He answers them with impeccable biblical knowledge and logic, starting with the Shema, the most famous and pivotal prayer that each Judean child and family would begin their day with by reciting. Jesus brings it back to the basics, adding that on these two commandments, all the laws and prophet voices hangs. The image of a tree branch or a door frame on a hinge comes to mind. We could even think of a frame of a picture or a rubric, an explanatory comment that holds together all the purposes of life. Now here's the real kicker here, at least it is for me. This story is here for the early church to fully understand who Jesus is and what he stands for. And it's in here for you and me for the same reason. It is a test question for you and me, too. Do we live like this? We are asked to consider what sort of rubric we follow for our lives and with our families and our children. Christ's answer, the framework for our whole lives is to be, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind, with everything. Then he goes on, love your neighbor as yourself. Do our whole lives really hang on this? I can tell you that my chocolate lab, Jonah, got a fair number of walks around the lakes of Bird Park where I live while I worked on this sermon. This isn't just some cute, pithy statement. It's meant to be the framework for our lives, for where we get our whole identity and purpose. And the love spoken about here isn't only that good and wonderful feeling. Rather, Jesus is talking about agape love a commitment, a dedication to a way of life oriented in the ways of God. Scholar Douglas Hare writes, It is important to remember that the primary component of biblical love is not affection, 
but commitment. Warm feelings of gratitude may fill our consciousness as we consider all that God has done for us. But it is not the warm feelings that the Shema demands from us, rather stubborn, unwavering commitment. Commitment is a setting of the heart, a way we freely choose to live our lives. It is a mysterious mixture of feelings and action, a beautiful dance between the two. It is direction not only for serving God and others, but also finding and knowing ourselves. Only when we fully live into our love of God with our entire being can we really begin to love as God does. Don't get me wrong, loving and serving others is a buttress, a foundation of the gospel. Next, Sunday's meet, next Saturday's meeting with risk is important. We know about and caring and loving others. We know that's important. No, where I think we tend to fall short on this passage of Scripture is in how we truly orient our lives. Jesus is talking about a radical love a radical commitment and discipline, a discipleship that leads to transformation in ourselves and God's world. In our text today, love of oneself is simply assumed. Scholars tell us within the cultural setting and social orientation of Judeans, it can be inferred that self-love entails proper knowledge of God and obedience to God. In other words, love of self comes from following the ways of God. But the question for us today would be, do we really know how to love ourselves? In today's culture, this is a mixed question. I'm not talking about a self-absorbed love or selfish orientation. Instead, I'm talking about a true love and acceptance of oneself as God loves Jesus' quote of love your neighbor as yourself also doesn't mean a codependency type of giving where one's primary identity is found in concentrating on others rather than self. And it also doesn't mean giving up so much of oneself, helping others, that one ignores one's own well-being. And sad to say, that is too common of a misinterpretation of Christianity. What I'm talking about is a self-knowledge and acceptance of oneself while seeking out God's will. Have you ever been around someone who's comfortable in their own skin, in their own shoes? Whenever I'm around someone like that, I'm always impressed. And at times, if I'm feeling a bit insecure, a bit envious... And the people I know who are really comfortable with themselves also know that God loves them and they are confident in God's love. They are also accepting and loving others in spite of others' foibles and bigger inadequacies. They don't let others walk over them, but in turn they trod lightly on others. They have boundaries. They aren't perfect they'll readily admit it, and they'll seek help when needed. They are committed to respecting humanity and God's creation because they also respect themselves 
as being created in God's image. They want to serve and love others, but they don't get their primary identity from how much they do, but rather from who and whose they are. Don't we all wish that for ourselves and especially for our children? We learn to push ourselves in various endeavors to reach certain goals, and we help our children to do this too. We know that it takes completing homework and studying to get into the right college. We know that playing on a sports team gives our children deeper lessons about life. We know that getting ahead in our jobs takes a certain amount of discipline and effort, and we talk about these things. Do we talk about our faith as readily? The world keeps pushing and pushing for achievement, while at the same time society seems to be becoming more selfish and self-absorbed. Our young people are developing more anxieties. So are our adults. Eating disorder and self-mutilation are reaching epidemic heights, all the while the strong voice to succeed in a culture of comparison, consumerism, and competition is beating louder and louder. To top it off, in our economic crisis, there is a growing despair and sense of helplessness helplessness that is crossing all societal lines and classes. Popular culture, its values, and what the world deems important is a mess. And you know what? The scriptures tell us and show us, show us it has always been so. On one of those walks around the lake with my dog as I was mulling over this scripture, I thought about how I used to be a swimmer in my middle and high school years. A huge part of my life revolved around the rhythm and practice of swimming laps. I remember my dad yelling at me at 6 a.m. to get out of bed in order for me to be at the pool by 6.30 a.m. I'd say I wanted to sleep in and I was quitting. And he'd say, not till after the season. You've made a commitment. You're sticking to it. Get your blank out of bed. Truthfully, I liked the results and sense of accomplishment and the community this rhythm brought to my life. Then as I walked around that lake, I realized I couldn't even attempt to swim a 100-meter I am right now and probably not a 50 free. And my thoughts progressed then how come at times when I'm feeling a bit out of sync with life and I've been out of practice with the Holy One, I want an immediate warm feeling and relationship with God. And on top of that, I expect an immediate answer from God about what problem I'm facing or how to better know myself. I thought of my son-in-law, Nate, a marathon runner who is right now practicing for the Richmond Marathon. This practice sets a rhythm to his life, a specific orientation. In a profound way, the practice has become just as important to him as the actual event. It's in this practice where he can let go, catch up on various music, run with a friend, and also pray and contemplate life. Moreover, it's taught him about a lot about his faith in God. We seem to realize that discipline is needed in so many aspects of our lives. 
But when it comes to a relationship with God, in God's relationship with us, we tend to overlook this. And too often we compartmentalize faith to Sunday alone. And yes, preachers do this too. Jesus is pointing us in the direction of an orientation and practice that will give us a true sense of who we are and in turn transform ourselves in God's world. Our self-love, our personal transformation, and then the transformation of God's world are all deeply tied to our practice of faith. In Matthew, Jesus gives us the framework. As Christians, we also have been blessed with the story of God's love for humanity, and we have a long history of people who show us way, how, ways to live out this love. Granted, this is a gift that the church has often messed up big time. Yet Jesus still challenges us to live into it in order to become who we were truly created to be, in order to know ourselves and love ourselves as God loves us. And in this season of stewardship, I think this passage challenges us how we will live out, how we will spend our time, talents, and financial blessings. How will we put into practice and what commitment are we willing to invest in order to love our neighbor as ourself? What will yours and my practice of giving be for yourself and for others? Biblical scholar Marcus Borg points out that being a Christian is also about being part of a community of transformation. We need our community, a community to know God, know ourselves, and to love ourselves as God does, and in turn love our neighbor as God does. May it be so. Amen. Will you pray with me? Dear God, guide us in ways to live that we love you with all of our being, our heart, our mind, our strength, our soul. Call us back when we fail and continuously remind us that you love us for who we are and who we are created to be. Amen.